We talked last week about commitment, uh, well, discernment in particular leading to Joshua's commitment to the Gibeonites. I wanted to start by sort of giving you some stories. So I grew up as a pastor's kid, and there's a number of you in the room who are actually pastor's kids. I'm going to reveal to the rest of you a little secret. Um, Pastor's kids are really, really good at following the rules to the letter and no further. Okay, so here's an example. I've got, I've got some good examples here. My mom used to tell us that we each needed to go out and pull 100 weeds. She would make us commit to going outside and pulling 100 weeds. So here's the way you pull 100 weeds quickly. Follow it to the letter, right? So we would go out and we would find a patch of very new weeds, new sprouts that had just sprouted. And we'd reach our hand, we'd grab a whole handful and pull it up and count the roots. And you'd get a solid 30 in each grab. And so we'd come in after a few minutes. Yep, we pulled our weeds, Mom. We pulled 100 weeds. Following to the letter. My mom would tell us, no running in the church sanctuary. So we would play walking tag as fast as we could possibly walk without fully breaking our knees. We got a little bit older, and in Colorado, where we grew up, fireworks that go up into the air, that launch themselves into the air, are not legal. But my dad always made us follow the laws exactly, to the letter. So we came up with a a scheme. We would buy fireworks that were meant to go off on the ground, and we got our bow and arrow. And we would strap the fireworks to the arrow, One of us would take aim, the other would light the firework and watch the fuse, and right before it went into the firework would say, fire! Air would shoot up and we would get a nice, beautiful show up in the air. We followed the law to the letter, exactly what it said to do. Last week, I was disappointed because I realized that I have been beat on following to the letter. So, uh, in the city of New York... They have passed a law that bans on the subway any dogs that don't fit in a bag because people were bringing big dogs onto the subway. So they passed the law. You're not allowed to bring a dog unless it fits on a bag on the subway. Jonathan, let's show everybody what people have come up with. (laughs) They followed it to the letter. All right, in all seriousness, I want to point out to you that God is committed to us. And when God commits to us, he does not commit to us to follow the letter. He follows the idea behind it. His commitments are something we can depend on because he is going beyond just following the letter of his commitment. And he asks us to go beyond just following the letter to following the ideal behind the letter. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. And in Joshua chapter 10, what I want to highlight for you, what I want to bring out to you, is that we need to understand God's commitment to us allows us to be committed to others. Whether that's commitments we've made, whether that's commitments to sharing the gospel, whether that is commitments towards loving others, our commitment from God gives us confidence to commit to others. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 10. We're only going to take a small section of this text. We're going to take verses 1 through 15. 
Remember in Joshua 9, a rushed decision had led to Joshua forming a treaty with the Gibeonites that was technically not allowed. God had said, don't form treaties with the people of Canaan. But Joshua, without consulting God, went out and formed a treaty with the people of Canaan. He made a commitment to the people of Canaan that he should have never made. It was made under false pretenses. But God held Israel to that commitment. Even though the Gibeonites had chosen to trick Israel, God still held them to their commitment. Even though the treaty should never have been made, God still held them to their commitment. So we're going to start with Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And I want you to listen to how the story further evolves from what we had last week. Joshua chapter 10. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king. And that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Yaphia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up position against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to, the, all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Horon and Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Yashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So that's the passage altogether. Now let's sort of break it down. The first thing I want you to see is the situation that Joshua found himself in. 
five nations, five people groups, upon hearing what had happened to Jericho, upon hearing what had happened to Ai, realized if they let Israel continue picking them off one by one, they were doomed. So they formed an alliance of five peoples. They also apparently had gotten word about the treaty of the Gibeonites. So the first task that they set out to do was to cut off Israel's ally in Gibeon. And so they march on Gibeon. The Gibeonites, concerned, call Israel and ask for help. We have a treaty with you. Please come and help us. That's the background of the story. Let's look at how this plays out. The first point I want you to see is that God's people can confidently, can loyally place their confidence in him. God's people can loyally place their confidence in him. The first thing I want you to really sort of pay attention to, really grab out of this, is that God expects his people to confidently act with integrity. I am pretty sure my mom did not intend for us to go make three big handfuls of weeds and call it good. I'm confident no running in the church does not allow for tag. And I certainly know that the idea behind not having airborne fireworks does not allow arrows with fireworks attached to them. No, God's people are to act with integrity. God expects us not just to hold to the letter of the law, but the idea behind the law. Just because you've been legal doesn't mean that you have acted with integrity. Look at what happens. The people of Gibeon call to Israel, and they say, come and help us. In Joshua 9, nothing in the treaty says that Israel will defend its ally. Nothing in the text suggests that to me. I think Joshua legally could have said no. But that wasn't the idea behind what had happened. To act with integrity meant to go out on a limb and support the person that he had sworn his allegiance to. So what does Joshua do? He boldly steps out and they march to Gibeon. The march to Gibeon is not a simple march, just from a geographical point of view. It's a 25-mile hike with a 4,000-foot ascent. They march through the night. If you are marching into battle, you probably don't want to march 25 miles and climb 4,000 feet only then to plant your feet and grab a sword. That's not ideal. That, that's exhausting. But that's what Joshua leads his people to. He boldly steps out. And look at God's response in verse 8. After Joshua boldly steps out, God responds in verse 8. And he says, don't be afraid. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. God tells Joshua, you are stepping out. You are honoring your commitments. I'm behind you. God's people should not fear because God is with us. We can loyally place our confidence in God and step out with integrity because God is behind us. The other thing that I want you to see here, we're going to sort of jump around to get through all of these, is that God's people 
should confidently look for victory. Look at what God says. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. If I were to jump ahead to verse 40, which is not a verse that we're going to actually cover in reading, but I will read it right here for you. Verse 40. Sorry, I have lost my place. So, Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, western foothills, and the mountain slopes. Together with all their kings, he left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Total victory. We can confidently look for victory. So, put all the pieces together. God expects us to act with integrity. But in acting with integrity, we don't need to fear because God can confidently give us the victory. Actually, it's interesting the way God uses this scenario. How had Israel been winning battles up to this point? One by one by one by one. It was going to take a little while. Actually, a long little while if they continued doing that. God takes this situation. He brings everyone together in one place. And gives Israel the opportunity to have a very quick, very dominating victory over the region. Joshua was able to take everything. But it was really God who was acting. I'm reminded, as I think about this, of the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1... I want to point out to you what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a young uh, pastor who Paul had trained. And Paul writes 2 Timothy as he is about to be executed. This is probably the last thing the Apostle Paul wrote. Probably from jail short period of time before he was executed. He talks about loyalty to the gospel. And look at verse 7 in 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We can confidently step out because God is loyal to us. We can confidently proclaim the gospel. We can do it with assurance that God is behind us. So what do I see? Join in the suffering. Embrace the humility of the gospel Keep the message of sound teaching. Guard the truth of the gospel. Step out confidently. Let me give you an action step from this little portion here. Search your life for any areas where your loyalty may have wavered. We are to be loyal to the gospel. Joshua was loyal to his integrity. I think he had every reason to say, I'm out, except for the reason that mattered, his integrity. What are we loyal to? Are we loyal to the gospel? Are we willing to step out? So that's my first point coming out of this passage. Normally we go verse by verse, but we're sort of breaking it up a little bit different here because 
there's a lot going on. I want to get to my second point in just a minute, but before I do so, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever gotten yourself into a sticky situation that you could not get yourself out of? You had to ask for help. A couple of years ago, Emily and I rented a camper, a trailer, and uh, I had pulled a trailer before, but never much, and we were doing pretty good. We went out camping, we toured Nebraska, and we got out to Valentine, and as we were driving down the road, Emily saw a footbridge off in Valentine. It's a beautiful footbridge if you have ever been out there. And she said, we should pull off and we should go hiking and walk across that bridge. And so I saw a little pull-out area, and so I, I pulled off with the camper in my truck, and I immediately realized my problem. There was no pull-through. It was just a one-in, one-out. And I've got the big trailer on the back of the truck, and I told Emily, we're in trouble, but let's go hike. <laughs> so we went for our hike. It was fun. And all the while, I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. It's a busy highway there. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, we got in, back into the truck, and I threw it in reverse and tried to back out. That wasn't going to work. Tried to get turned around inside there. That wasn't going to work. And we must have played with this for about half an hour. Finally, an older man comes up to me and he says, so I grew up on a farm and I'm used to backing big trailers. Would you like a, a little bit of help? I hopped out of the truck and handed him the keys. <laughs> Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble. God's people can depend on God even when they get themselves into trouble. I want you to notice what happened here. Joshua, in chapter 9, had gotten himself into trouble. He should have never made this treaty with the Gibeonites. He should have never been in this position. But he was. But God still got Joshua out of trouble. Look at the first thing that God does. After telling Joshua, don't be afraid, I will give you the victory. The next thing that happens is God indirectly intervenes on behalf of his people. We read that the Lord threw the enemies of Israel into confusion. He confused them. This large army that had come and gathered against Gibeon, was now confused. Israel, after marching all night for 25 miles up 4,000 feet, arrives, probably tired, to find an enemy that's confused. That's a good situation to be in. God indirectly can intervene for his people. But more than that, God can directly intervene for his people. Verse 11 is amazing to me. The enemy turns and begins to flee and as and begins hurling hailstones from heaven upon the enemy. I don't know if I've ever been in a hailstorm like that before. I know I haven't. A hail than from Israel itself. That's the sort of intervention that God can provide for his people. Israel had put themselves into trouble. They never should have gotten into this to start with. Back in Joshua chapter 9, they should have asked questions. But even though Israel was the one that had gotten themselves into trouble, God still stepped in and helped. 
This is encouraging to me because I get myself into trouble. Time and time again. I'm sure you do too. And do you ever do something, realize it was the wrong mistake, and think, well, I got myself into this. I guess I shouldn't get God involved. Have you ever thought that? I have. This is my fault. Let me just handle it myself. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is a gracious God who is looking for us to call out to him even when we get ourselves into trouble. I'm reminded of Peter. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter constantly jumps ahead. One of my favorite stories is when Peter is in the boat and sees Jesus walking on the water, and what does he say? Call me out. Let me come out there. Jesus says, sure, come on out here. And then Peter gets himself into trouble. But Jesus is right there to pull him out. God will get us out of trouble even when we get ourselves into it. I am so thankful that God does not say to me, you made that mess, now you clean it up. Because I can't. God is the one who will clean up. He's the one who will fix our mistakes. So let me give you a, an action step here. Ask yourself, where do I need to ask God for help? What are the things that you try to fix yourself? That you say, I know I caused this mess, so I'm going to fix it. Stop. Don't try to fix it. Let God fix the problems. Ask God for help, regardless of how you got into the situation. Ask God for help. We need to be a discerning people. Joshua 9 is real. Joshua messed up in Joshua 9. Ideally, we don't get into those situations. In reality, we do. We make mistakes. What will you do when you get yourself into trouble? Don't hesitate to reach out to God and ask God for the help. The next thing that I noted in this text as I was reading through it is that God's people should boldly call on God. Bold requests may be unbelievable. Look at Joshua's request in verse 12. Joshua asks for the impossible. This is one that the the mathematician and physicist in me just can't get over. The earth is rotating at 1,000 miles per hour. That's the speed at which we rotate. It is a large object. Joshua asks, the sun to stand still. There's only one way for the sun to stand still, and that's for the earth to stop rotating. So then I get to thinking to myself, how many things does this mess up? Have you ever put the brakes on hard and gone from 60 miles an hour to zero miles an hour in a couple of seconds? It doesn't feel good. I don't know how you go from 1,000 miles an hour to zero miles an hour. That's, that's pretty intense. Or what about heating, like the weather? One of the reasons that weather works is the fact that we eventually move out of direct sunlight. Have you ever thought through that? Like what would happen if the sun was targeting one area 
for an entire day? I don't know how God handled that one. Or what about the side that didn't get sunlight for a day? I think it would get pretty cold. I don't know how God did this. All I know is that he could and that he had everything under control. Joshua's ask was unbelievable because bold requests sometimes are unbelievable. And those are okay requests. Joshua says, sun, stand still. If we're going to win this battle, and not just win the battle, but win the day, to stop the enemy completely, we need to continue fighting, and it's almost night. If, it, if the sun goes down, they will be able to regroup. We can't let that happen. So Joshua asks God for the impossible. Stop the rotation of the earth. And look what happens. Bold requests sometimes receive amazing answers. The sun stands still in the sky. Apparently the earth stopped moving. And it doesn't go down. Bold requests sometimes receive amazing answers. And Joshua even tells us, go ahead and fact check me on this one. It's not just here that this is recorded. It's also recorded in the book of Yashar. The book of Yashar is no longer existent. There are fake books of Yashar because people have read this and thought, well, I'm going to write the book of Yashar. No. The book of Yashar is something that's lost in the sands of time. But at this time, when this was written, Joshua said, I know this is unbelievable, so fact check me on it. Here's another reference. Look it up. This really happened. God's able to honor bold requests and give amazing answers. So this led me to think, we need to be known as a people who call on the Lord. Philippians 4.6 is becoming one of my favorite verses over the last six months or so. I want to read you Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We should be known as a people who call on the Lord. Look at the steps that are given here. It says, don't be anxious for anything. That doesn't mean that you're just carefree. That you just let everything go. No, the idea is you're not preoccupied. You're not showing anxiety. You're not giving all your attention to something that really doesn't matter. Don't be anxious. Don't have anxiety but rather take your requests to God. There's four words here that are given for describing how we should pray. The first is the word for prayer. It describes a believer's attitude of humbly going to God and admitting that I can't do this. I need you. The second is the word for petition. Petitions are specific needs that we bring before God. We should petition God. In other words, we should specifically ask God for things. It's okay to be specific. Look at Joshua. It's hard to be more specific than that. Sun stands still. Okay? We should petition God specifically. But then look at what it says. 
with thanksgiving. This is a heart attitude. This is not just, I'm thankful for what you're going to do, God. That's good. You should be thankful for that. This is more than that. This is a heart attitude that says, God, everything you've done for me is good. And I am thankful for you and who you are. It says, let your requests be made known. Those are definite, specific needs that you have. Be anxious for nothing. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let me give you an action step. Pray specifically. Pray boldly. Look for answers. This is the lesson that God has been teaching me over the past six months. Pray specifically, pray boldly, and look for answers. I will give you a couple of examples. You all know some of these. The contractor for the church, we prayed for the contractor by name, and that contractor got the lowest bid. That's a specific request. I felt like at the time it was bold. Now I look at it and think, of course God answered that. Pray specifically, pray boldly. I wanted to share with you two separate things over the past six months where I have been notified that there was a particular person that needed prayer. And so I began praying for that person, and with half an hour they showed up here in this building for me to talk to them. Pray specifically. Pray boldly. God answers our prayer. The rest of the passage is one of those passages that there's a lot of names and a lot of words that we don't want to read through carefully, out loud, because it's hard. But I encourage you to read the rest of Joshua 10 and see how God, piece by piece, hands over Israel's enemies to them. Joshua was bold because God is committed to him. And I want to share with you, if you have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, God is committed to you. He is committed to growing you to be more like Christ. He is committed to changing your heart. He is committed to using you for his kingdom. God's commitment to you is real. And he will faithfully be behind you. Yes, you may mess up. Go to him in prayer. Yes, you may need his help. He's there. We need to be people who are committed to God. Our scripture verse of the month is Hebrews 11.30. So let's uh, pull that up on the slides, Hebrews 11.30, and say that together, if you'll join me. Hebrews 11.30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Hebrews 11.30, The same God who brought the walls down of Jericho is the God who was behind Joshua, was committed to him, is the God who is committed to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are committed to your people. That at the moment of salvation, you call us by your name. 
you assign to us the inheritance of Christ. You indwell us with your Holy Spirit. You told Joshua, do not be afraid. I am with you. And you are with us. You've committed to us. So I pray that as we think about the commitment that you've made to us, that we would step out in a committed way to you, that we would be loyal to the gospel. That when we make mistakes, we would ask you for help. Lord, I pray that you would help us to become people of prayer who know that you're committed to us, so we should ask. Help us to grow in our commitment to you, knowing how committed you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.